Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. On today's show, the multi-talented W.C. Ryan author of A House of Ghosts, we're going to be talking about The Winter Guest. It's a psychological, historical mystery thriller. Let's get on to the green room. W.C. Ryan is on The Thriller Zone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to W.C. Ryan. We are talking about The Winter Guest. By the way, the cover of this thing, look at this. That looks like a, a horror story just waiting to happen, right? It's mystical, it's magical, it's historical. It's all that yummy goodness all packed into one. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about this, but I want to, I always like to get to know my authors before we dive into their book. We, we won't belabor it too much, but I just want to get to know, first of all, how's your winter going? Big holiday plans? The winter here is unusually mild. I know that's not the same everywhere in the world, but, but here it's been pretty warm up until now. But we're just coming up to Christmas. We kind of skipped by Thanksgiving in this part of the world. But uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. It does, because it's unseasonably warm, we're all kind of thinking, oh, really? Is it December already? But but yeah, apparently it's going to be colder next week. I don't believe it. Awesome. We'll see. We were watching football over the weekend, and I spent quite a bit of years in Chicago, and the football game was about 35, 36 degrees. That's Fahrenheit. And we were we're in San Diego, so we sat there going, oh, that's terrible. It's so sad to hear that. We probably would have been slightly mocking them. Even here, it's been like, it's been probably close to 60, which is unusual for November. Now, there's something I learned about you. And by the way, do you you prefer Bill? Yes. I am pretty indeterminate. I don't. I'm Bill, Billy, Will, Willie, Bilbo. I don't like, but William is also good. So I'm pretty flexible. All right, we'll go with William because I know you see Ryan, of course, on the book cover. A w William Ryan for your website, etc. So we'll go there. But I wanted to say. I've learned that you're not only a world-renowned author, which we're going to dive into in a second, but also a cyclist. But this is something I did not know. I did have to look it up. You're a licensed mudlarker. Now, (laughs) I could easily go down that trail, but I want to know if you could share with my audience what a mudlarker is and how you came to be licensed for it. Getting licensed wasn't too difficult. But but what mudlarking is, you can mudlark pretty much on any river, but I mudlark on the Thames, which is unusual in that it's tidal. So the tide comes in and out every day twice, and it comes in pretty quickly and goes out pretty quickly. So you get exposed mud banks, and the mud is anaerobic. So it basically preserves stuff forever. So you can find, there's 2,000 years of history in London, so you can find everything from bone Roman dice, which are preserved in the mud, up 
to Tudor pottery. I found a, a clay pipe from where the Mayflower set off, which would be contemporaneous with it. So clearly it was dropped by a sailor from that boat. It's, there's no other possibility. There's a lot of history in the Thames, and it's all very personal history as well. And if you're an historical writer, you go one of two ways. One is you write big history. You're writing about kind of Franklin Roosevelt or something like that. But or you're writing about small history. And I tend to write about small history. So it's the history of individuals. So small objects are something that I research for my novels and I, I get a kick out of finding them as well. You know, if you find a musket ball that's early 19th century, the last person who dropped that or fired it or whatever he did, you feel like you have a small connection to them. That is fascinating. Talking about adding not only ingenuity, but originality to stories and so forth. But I, is it safe to assume that some of the things that you have found you display in your home, or are you one of those guys who go, oh, I'm going to donate this to a historical society and share this with more people? Most of the stuff, firstly, you know, the, the Thames is, a, is one big archaeological dig, um, right. So if you find something, but it's done by amateurs as opposed to professionals, largely. But if you find something, you're meant to turn it into the Museum of London. Where they have a fines officer who looks at it and then decides whether it's worth their while. I haven't found anything that good just yet. But people have found incredible things down there. And if you ever want to, if you're on Instagram and you want to check out what people find, if you follow the hashtag mudlarking, you can see some pretty interesting things. Okay, fascinating. I'm adding that. So that adds dimension to your stories, which have a lot of history based in it. And I want to get onto your books. Now, I also want to mention that the uh, folks, the gentleman I have with me today has quite a host of awards to his credit, including in many of these, uh, some of these I've heard of, some of them I have not, the Irish Fiction Award, the Thiecton's, uh, uh Crime Novel of the Year, the Endeavor Historical Gold Crown, and the Crime Writer Association Steel Historical and New Blood Daggers Awards, which is, this is probably in my country, New York Times bestseller, right? That would be the very first one that would come to my mind. Is, I'm assuming these are probably as prestigious in that arena. Firstly, I've only been shortlisted. So I've been shortlisted, I think, now for 12 prizes without ever winning one. But I'm not bitter. I'm a little bit. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, they are for the best of the novels in that category, which tends to be crime fiction or historical fiction. The Irish Fiction Award is for literary fiction. Uh, somehow I snuck in there. Always delighted to be shortlisted and always very proud. It's it's always pleasing. How long, when you're on a short list, how long before you bubble up to the top of the list and it actually happens? The short list, they do a different short list for each year. So if it's, if it, for example, was the Steel Dagger this year, they would maybe have four or five, maybe six books on the short list, and then they pick one of them as the overall winner. So it's it's a, it's a saying, you're 
really good, but you're not as good as that guy. Um, <laughs> that's what being shortlisted is about. So if that happens to you 11 or 12 times, it can be a little disappointing. Now, here is something that I just ran across this morning, the Globe and Mail. I saw this, I think, it on your twist, Twitter account, Twister, it should be list the winter guest as the top 100 books of 2022 now that's prestigious tell me about that and how that came about i have no idea how it came up but it's a canadian newspaper i believe and they picked 100 books of the year and they picked six crime fiction ones or maybe it was historical and i slipped in in one of those categories i've also been in irish times book of the year so far so this is the time of year that that you get these book of the year nominations it's always good to have this reminds me of that phrase that goes any press is good press right yeah and i think that anytime you can get on anybody's list with the profound amount of competition out there these days i think anytime you can get on anybody's list it's a good thing oh yeah and it each time it's introducing you to new readers and hopefully those readers are going to go off and buy your book and then hopefully enjoy the experience. And it's, I love hearing from readers and, and quite often it is because I've been shortlisted for something or been nominated for something and it's come back. They've come to it through that, which is great. Is it safe to assume, William, that you're a lad that always wanted to be a writer? Somehow I sense that would be the case. Uh, yeah, probably. My father was a poet. Not a particularly good one, to be fair to him. But, but he had a book of poetry published, and I think that qualifies him for that title of poet. And so there were always books in the house, and I was always reading Certainly until I left school, university, I was ticking off regularly a book, maybe two books a day in the holidays. I did get out into the sun sometimes, but but I was, I used to read a lot. And I think if you read a lot, then there comes a, a moment where you think, I can, you know, this book isn't quite as good as some of the others I've read. And I think I could maybe do as well as this, if not better. And and I guess I, I came to the conclusion that I probably could tell stories. I started off writing screenplays, which was a kind of frustrating experience in some ways because it's more collaborative than novels are. You get a lot, you have to work with producers and work with actors and there are lots of changes involved. But, but when I came to writing a novel, I, I had that, I had the desire to, to read, which is often what you're doing when you're writing, you're reading the book that you're writing. But I also had that visual sense. So it's been a little bit of a journey, but yeah, I think from a very early stage, I wanted to be involved in books, not just as a reader, but also as a writer. Excellent. 
Now, let's talk about the winter guest. And there are a host of accolades on the back of the book, which I'm a big fan of reading. Uh, uh, quite often, I will read these to prime my own personal pump. And I will read these before I read the blurb. Matter of fact, the, the odd thing is I just like to hear the enthusiasm from other people. And then I'll leave the blurb alone because I want to discover the story myself, but I want to read a couple of these. Let's see. Uh, Jane Casey of the Sunday Times bestselling and uh, award-winning author says, a perfectly crafted mystery and a triumph is both crime novel and historical fiction. That's one of my favorites. Second one, the Times London says, you evoke a moody Gothic atmosphere with convincing skill. And the Irish Times says your work is superb on several level levels. One that I loved, it jumped out at me, Anna Mazzola, author of The Unseen. She says, part intricate mystery and part ghost story. The book stayed with her for a long time. That I would echo the sentiment. And I want to put into my two cents worth as though you were asking me for it. <laughs> and I call it a haunting read that leaves this reader wanting more because at the end I did find myself asking a number of questions. And I know that I get a sense that you're probably not, this is clearly a standalone. It feels like a standalone to me, but it, it did at the end make me go, Ooh, what if blank happened? What if this didn't happen? What will he go further with it? You know what I mean? There is the possibility of there being a sequel the novel ends with uh, Tom Harkin getting on a boat and going to the U.S., which is actually what happened to my grandfather. So he was involved in the IRA and the Irish War of Independence. And he went off to North America and he worked in Detroit for Mr. Ford for a while. And then he ended up, he was an engineer. He went off down to South America and he was... I have these amazing photographs of him in the jungle with a bunch of other engineers. I think they were building roads and they all have these kind of pistols that are about the size of a small child and machetes and they look like tough men. There is a possibility that Harkin might go on to, to do something in the States because quite a few IRA men ended up as gangsters in New York and Chicago. Who knows? We'll see. How about this, so that I don't ruin anything? Let, let's tell our listeners what this book is about for me, if you would. Right. Now, kind of in the 1920s, after the First World War, the First World War was fought, amongst other things, for the rights of small nations to self-determination. So at the end of, of the First World War, a lot of empires like the German and the Austrian and the Russian kind of broke apart and and that met, gave rise to a, the creation of a lot of small countries that weren't there before. That was something which the Irish had planned would be happening in Ireland as well. And when it didn't, then there was quite a lot of anger and there was arising in 1916 and then in, in 1920 a, a war of independence began there was a uh, there was a guerrilla war so it was ambushes small scale military engagements assassinations it was pretty dirty 
And it had a kind of religious element as well, because the North was Protestant, the South Catholic, and whereas the middle class and the poorer classes were predominantly Catholic, the ascendancy, the people who owned the land were Protestant. So it was very complicated. And while it was a war of independence against British rule, it was also to an extent a civil war as well. But that's giving you some of the background. Now, Tom Harkin is somebody who's been an officer in the British army in World War One and has experienced some terrible things and is suffering from post-traumatic stress. He's functioning. So he has these day visions, which a lot of people did. They would be, they would see things in the street and they would know that they weren't there and they were able to go about their business. It was a time where there wasn't a great deal of treatment for this, but they were able to work their way through life while to function while not being particularly well. And I think he, before the war, he his fiance was somebody called Maud Prendeville. He's Catholic from a middle-class background. She's Protestant from an upper-class background. They were engaged. And although she was, she was on the side of, of the revolt against British rule, <clears throat> she's assassinated, or she dies, in an IRA ambush. And because she's a heroine of the Irish Rebellion, there's some concern that she should have been killed by her own, and Harkin is the perfect man to send down to find out what really happened. And he arrives down into a house not dissimilar to the one that you showed on the cover, which is crumbling into the Atlantic, which it, it looks across, and there are secrets, and there are ghosts, or at least there are things which Harkin sees which may or may not be ghosts, and there is a mystery, and there are people who have things to hide, and things that Harkin uncovers which sometimes he wishes he hadn't uncovered. And it builds to to a, a climax where something happens, but obviously he <laughs> survives because we've just said <laughs> that he ends sure. up on a boat to New York, so he's okay. Yeah. What this made me think of, and without being too woo, you made a reference to the point that these people had suffered a PTSD. And I often wonder, and I maybe ask this, are they seeing images that haunt them from the past? Or are they perhaps clairvoyant, for lack of a better term, to seeing what is on the other side of the veil? And this is probably part of my own personal obsession with trying to understand the transition from life to death, I think because I've lost so many people in my life and both of my parents, I always am wondering, and I sometimes, without rolling my eyes here, communicate with my mother. And I often wonder, do we have that ability? Is it our imagination? Is it a part psychosis? Is it part wishful thinking? Is it part PTSD? And I was curious to ask you your thoughts on that because of both what you just said and the way I saw this character and the way he suffered this loss. 
that makes sense. I think, firstly, I think we need to start with the question of whether you believe in ghosts or supernatural experiences. I do, because yeah. I've kind of experienced them. Um, sure. And I've been in houses where very strange things have happened. And there is something else which is very difficult to explain going on in the world. That having been said, I think there are many different explanations for some of the phenomena that people witness. And I think PTSD, people, that that is often to do with suppressed or experienced memories recreating themselves. I have a feeling based on on the little that that I know directly about about these supernatural experiences that, that is they're almost like a recording because they often play the same way in the same place and something very traumatic happened in this place and somehow or another that has been captured there in some way or another. I don't know if that makes sense, but certainly there's one house which I've been in in Ireland, which has got at least three ghosts, possibly more. And they seem to do the same thing. So I think that, that is one possibility. But I think that there are also other people who have some kind of connection with the supernatural and i've met people along those lines as well and they seem to be relatively sane so i'm prepared to take them at their word and then i guess there's also there's people like you who have very direct emotional connections with the past and the novel before this called a house of ghosts was about spiritualism which is a lot of what that is about communicating directly with specific people in what comes after death. And again, that isn't something I would rule out entirely. It's, there may be a logical explanation for it. There may be something internally that you can create, you can recreate the person who you probably know very well in your own mind and that can manifest itself. But it also makes sense to me that there is something after death. All the wonderful people we meet and interact with, it seems strange that spark which which leaves the body once they pass on, that it is extinguished entirely. Yeah, and I'm sure this could, and I would love to do it. I think we don't have perhaps the amount of time, but I love having conversations like this because it it steps outside a traditional sandbox. And you had already beat me to the punch when I was talking. And I didn't want to be Captain Obvious here, but I'm going to go, this guy's got to have a thing for ghosts because the for the book we just referenced, The House of Ghosts, this winter guest, a winter guest is a ghost, so you could imply. And the fact that we're talking about this, but do you have you found yourself to always be fascinated and or intrigued and or drawn to this image matter relevance of ghosts i don't go out looking for it or looking to write these books but sometimes you have an idea and and that idea comes with some other ideas that that 
that come along. So I think my last three novels have had some element of post-traumatic stress involved in them. And that has manifested itself in different ways. And whereas The House of Ghosts was more about, about spiritualism and about clairvoyancy, this one is more of a straightforward ghost element there are but mixed with post-traumatic stress and these kind of day visions but the novel before the constant soldier which is coming out next year in the u.s is more about straightforward post-traumatic stress and about and i think that all of those three novels have have main characters who have been through very traumatic military experiences. And I think that those men uh, really interested me and how they came to terms with what had happened to them in the past and what was, you know, and then when they're faced with, uh, again, adversity, which is what tends to happen in, in novels, how they cope with it. Even though they are damaged, they, even though they've been through so much, they managed to dust themselves off and get back in the game and persevere and overcome. And that, you know, is a story which appeals to me and, I, and it makes for a really good novel, I think, and something that readers can engage with. And it's a, an enjoyable reading experience. Not to distract from, but to add to this conversation. <clears throat> My wife and I have been watching this television series, and I'm late to the party, but I don't care. I don't care how I get to the party, just that I get there. And the TV series is Pennyworth, which is led by this amazing actor, Jack Bannon. But it's basically an American TV series that premiered a couple of years ago, and it has to do with it's the what Batman's butler, the backstory beyond that. Anyway, my point being, it's riddled with, it gets more bizarre as it goes, but it's riddled with this PTSD and this character who fought in the war and lost a friend. And that friend reappears to him throughout the series. And I find that fascinating back to the same reason, as I mentioned before, and I, I was doing some research recently based on another book I'm working on. And this person was talking about our perception of death and reality and where we relate to it. And this is what I mean. A lot of people see, oh, death, as you said, death, died, gone out into some other cosmos. However, they use the reference of a piece of paper. They said, if you hold up a piece of paper with your hand, your hand is both in the present. It's almost as though the piece of paper represents the veil between life and death. And I'm going to get off of this in a second. But so your thumb on this side of the page is in reality, but the veil, the separation of life and death is as simple as this because your hand is on the other side if that makes any sense to you. But I found that so fascinating because we see it as, oh, it's way off there, whatever. Whereas if you've ever lost anyone and you were able to sense them and or communicate with them in any shape or form, they're as close as that. And I'm not even high this morning. So just- well, I think that makes complete sense. But I think it's also, 
oh good there's also the idea that if you're remembered you're never really dead if that makes sense never really passed on my mother is still alive in her family and friends and myself and my siblings minds and i'm sure it's the same with your mother and all of the many people that she interacted with i'm sure your mother is still very much alive in their thoughts so it it makes sense to me that there is a trust that that's not the only manifestation of somebody who's passed on that there is something else wandering around it's it, i guess it's the kind of thing that i explore in the books a little bit but at the end of the day they're not only about ghosts they're also about very difficult periods and i guess that we're lucky that we're living through a, a relatively calm period of history um, oh yeah maybe that's changing but compared <laughs> to previous times compared for example to certainly 75 years ago world war 2 that really did affect pretty much everybody on the planet um you know i guess one of the things that i find interesting about the war that we currently have going on in europe is that it is a traumatic event but it's very isolated and after whatever it is 9 or 10 months everybody's ammunition is running out because nobody has been expecting that this would ever happen again i kind of i think that is at least one positive thing is that we seem to have moved past these global conflagrations i think the emotional uh, ammunition has run out as well <laughs> not over here i don't think i think maybe in the us you're always separate because you're geographically separate but i think in europe we've been dealing with the russians in various forms for for some time and we thought it had all gone away but you know we certainly certainly the ukraine is a surprise but not a surprise <laughs> so i think that i think that there's still considerable support for ukraine over here yeah and what i i, I want to make yeah and i want to make sure I, i don't misrepresent i didn't mean that is in cast off what i mean is impatience and fatigue more that's yeah. really what i meant more of because we're all a lot of us matter of fact i wear a pen quite often of uh, we are supporting them and their struggle and so i want to make sure that it oh, isn't no, I mean, that we yeah, kind of i think i think we're we're all we're all on the same page it's just yeah. it's terrible that it's happening and it should end tomorrow because it's not going to it's not going to change very much at this stage no so anyway that so we can attempt to leave on an upbeat note because as we begin to wrap i want to i love to ask my authors especially ones as prolific as yourself 
their best piece of writing advice? Because I have a lot of listeners who are up and coming authors. They're they want to be the next W.C. Ryan, etc. So if I were, if you were to give your best piece, it doesn't have to be one. It could be two, three. I'm not a stickler for that, but the essence of best piece of writing advice to an up and coming author, what would it be? Yeah, how many do you want? But the first thing I, th- Load I think me up. is okay. So the first thing is that if you want to write a book, you have to be able to read books, and you have to have read a lot of them because otherwise you don't you don't have it in your kind of DNA how they work and what happens in a book. Writing is mainly instinctive. instinctive. Storytelling is mainly instinctive. If you don't consume stories, it's very difficult to write them. And when you're writing the story, you want to write the story that you really want to read. So it's the book that, when you go into the bookshop, it's the book that you would pick up. And if you would pick it up, the chances are that lots of other people would as well. And then it's got to be as good as you can possibly make it. So you're aiming for that perfect book that just nobody else has written. We may not achieve it, but that's a great place to start. And then when you're when you're you're writing your book, you need to think about it as a conversation because it is like a conversation between you and the reader, except you're doing all the talking. I come from a country where storytelling is a big thing. It's what we do. It's why we have pubs. There's beer, but it's also to meet up and tell stories, mainly sure. about the people who aren't there. <laughs> so we storytelling is something that we take very seriously. Um, and it's holding the reader's attention. So being conscious that there is somebody listening to you as you're telling the story and making sure that you're always giving them reasons to want to carry on listening. It is a conversation, but you need that person to be listening to you. And if you don't, if you aren't aware of then you, yeah, the story will slightly disappear. It's always being aware of your audience. Now, the audience may be you, because certainly when you're writing the first book, you're writing it effectively for yourself. But it's having that dual writer and reader role, making sure that you're entertaining yourself, that you're entertaining the reader, that you're holding their attention, that they're engaging with the story, that you're giving them reasons to want to read on. And that's, I think, pretty important. Superb. Do you find yourself, and this is a loaded question, but as you're writing, do you find yourself, in pro- as you're in process, going, oh, I kind of lost my train of thought, and or I don't really, that doesn't interest me. And then at that point, you go, if it's not interesting to me, then I should remove it because it may not be interesting to my reader. Oh, yeah. I think that happens the whole time. And it's not just whether it's interesting. It's also writing, good writing is, has to be really accurate and has to be really clear to the reader as well. You have to describe things efficiently and accurately and visually. And it has to be, what you're trying to do is put what is inside your head, this image you have for the story into the reader's head and do that as efficiently as possible. 
And if you're, you know, so when I, I rewrite everything that I've written the day before, okay, that's the first thing I do to start my day off. And that's what I'm, I'm looking for. I've had that kind of night's sleep and I'm looking, is this as good as it possibly can be? And is it going to be holding the reader's attention? So to clarify that, put a finer point on it, is it, tr- so you would say, let's say for instance, you're a 2000 word a day guy. So on your next day, you write on Monday, you put out your 2000 words. The next day you come in, you take those 2000 from the day before you rework them. You kind of ramp up to get into the story, tweak them, and then go on to the next 2000. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. Okay, because perfect. basically good writing is about good editing. Like the first, it's like painting a house. If you do one coat, it'll be fine. But actually, if you do two or three, it'll be a lot better. And if you do all the preparation work as well, it's, it's, the more effort you put in, it's going to be better. It's, it's going to get that polish. It's going to get that kind of nice, smooth feel to it. And that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Superb. I love that. The book, once again, is The Winter Guest. W.C. Ryan, a pleasure. I, it makes me want to go back and read A House of Ghosts and see if I can get myself a little spooked on that as well. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and it, it's it's been a, a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much. And folks, if you'd like to learn more, go to william-ryan.com. Follow him on Twitter, as I do, at williamryan underscore. But once again, winter guest, thank you so much. Happy holidays and enjoy those balmy breezes as you celebrate the festivities. (laughs) You probably will be wearing shorts on Christmas Day, but the rest of us less likely. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks once again to W.C. Ryan and the winter guest as we are coming down to the very tail end of 2022. Just a couple of more shows left in the pipeline for the Thriller Zone. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to remind you that next week, debut author Matthew Smith has written a book called 20 Mile. It's good. It's coming up on next Thursday. I'm David Temple. Until then, I've got to scoot on out of here and get some reading done. I'll see you next time for another edition of The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.